And I had bought into this narrative that it's about how hard you work. And if you work really hard and you fail, at least you can say you did everything you could, right? If you are like me, I know that free enterprise is the greatest opportunity in the world, but you also see there are huge issues starting to arise, like why is mentorship decreasing in popularity? Why do entrepreneurs like us who love to succeed see people fail at the top and never leave true significance? And how do people like us make a lasting impact on the world? And is it possible for enough entrepreneurial leaders together to make a real difference? These are the blaring questions, and this podcast is the answer. Journey with me, your host, Christian. Together, we will challenge the status quo and conquer our legacies. Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. And guys, we have someone very, very special. And guys, the reason why we bring these people on is because they're intermediate, expert-level individuals that know a lot about business and how to scale. Many of you guys are struggling with, okay, hey, I, I got a, I've got an acquisition channel. You're rock and roll. You're kicking butt. But then all of a sudden, how do you scale to five, six, seven, ten million $10 million? Well, we wanted to bring someone in that was featured on Forbes just recently. He's actually produced almost a billion dollars in revenue, in total revenue to companies like Target, Real Simple, and other larger companies. Okay. And so he's also, I just want to share with you, he had a business consulting position and then he built an incredible agency, but not to the detriment of stress. In fact, his doctor categorized him as being the most stressed patient in the history of his practice. And so we're going to be diving into obviously how was he featured on Forbes to becoming stressed to now running several different large companies and acquiring incredible results. My friend, David Valentin. How are you doing, my man? Doing great, brother. Doing great. Good to, good to be uh, hanging out with you, Christian. Hey, I'm really looking forward to it because obviously you have a, a, a plethora of, of results, but also just experience. But before we dive into that, kind of tell me a little bit about your journey. I know you struggle with anxiety. You struggle with that stress. Um, was that very prevalent in, in your life? Uh, and, and kind of tell me, walk me through that process to now and accomplishing the results you have. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I think it was one of those things where I, I grew up a, as a military brat. Um, you know, I, I lived in 15 different houses in 13 different cities before I graduated high school. Um, and so moving around was, was a constant thing. But I also had uh, parents who really believed in me, which also meant they had a lot of big expectations for uh, what I was going to accomplish in school, what I was going to accomplish in athletics, what I was going to accomplish in general. And like most uh, 20-somethings, you find yourself graduating college uh, and going into the workforce and you have big expectations um, to accomplish the goals you have set out and some of the expectations that may or may not be spoken from the people that you love, my parents. Uh, I projected some of those onto my wife. And I started my first company when I was 25. Uh, I knew that I had to make this thing work because I had this drive to be successful, to manifest those expectations. So I just worked all the time. The first year and a half of the, the first businesses that I started, we, I was doing a, a, a gig that was full-time, nine-to-five sort of thing, in-house marketing at this big corporation. And in the off hours, I was literally working to build a business. So I'd wake up at five, I'd work from five to 7.30. And then I would shower, get dressed, drive into work, like go work, come back home. 
uh, have dinner. And then basically at seven, seven 30 in the evening, I'd work until 10 at night. And then every Saturday and Sunday, it was just working, uh, 18 months in my wife said, Hey, listen, um, we have a newborn daughter. Uh, I never see you. I don't care which one you do. Just pick one, do the business or do the, you know, employee thing. And I was like, man, I really want to do the business. So we lived off savings and I had to figure some stuff out. Like every, uh, rising entrepreneur does. We had a couple employees and, and I had to figure out like, how was I going to pay myself anything? Cause I hadn't paid any, myself anything. So that kind of led to this journey of figuring it out. And it, it was when I was 29 that, that I got the, Hey, you're the most stressed out person we've ever seen from my doctor. And essentially at that point, what I had done, I had just worked so hard, so much. And I'd bought into this narrative that it's about how hard you work. And if you work really hard and you fail, at least you can say you did everything you could, right? Instead of going, actually, there are smarter ways to work. There are things that would make your burden lighter. And there are really positions that you can get out of. So when I sold my first agency, it was a full service digital marketing and advertising firm. And the thing that that was really interesting, Christian, was that we were custom, right? We did all this great work for these big corporations. It was so fun. It was, and everyone always needed me. <laughs> they always needed Dave to come in for the big idea. Like the the um, clients wanted to speak to me, and so it just became this Dave centric universe. So when I got out of that business and started some new businesses, the first new business that I started was a sales development rep firm. And the it was work that we had been doing for some of our B2B clients before we were setting up meetings, right? Uh, that they could go and close on their own. But I love that because it needed me to set it up. It needed me to come up with the big ideas and pull the levers and make it work, but then it doesn't need me. And so with that model, I am not needed. So I work way less than I used to every week. Um, I moved myself uh, to the mountains of Southwest Washington state, because we do everything remote now. So now I get to be in nature literally every single day. And uh, that's, that's kind of been the journey, man, of like, how can I build a business that allows me to live my life, enjoy it at its fullest potential and make a great living. And, and thank goodness I've been able to do that. Yeah. And I think that's a, I love that approach. And the reason why I love it is because it had a paradigm shift, right? We hear Elon Musk, we hear Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Nonstop Grant Cardone, talk about 10 X your life, whatever. Uh, and in order to do that, you have to sacrifice. And sometimes sadly, it is the detriment of your relationships with your kids and, and family. And I'm just curious to kind of diving into that, that stress, right? Um, what was that like? to say, okay, I have to go to the unknown, go for the business. And where did that come from? Have you always been entrepreneurial, would you say? I mean, uh, or, or did you always just have that kind of feel? Or? Yeah. my So uh, at a young age, my dad would tell stories of his multiple careers before he joined the Air Force. One of the things that he did was he started a landscaping business while he was in college. And it actually was decently successful. This was back in the 80s. Uh, and he ended up selling it for like $35,000, which was a good bit more money then than it is now. And it was baked into the conversations that I had with my dad, that I had with my mom as a kid, that entrepreneurship is something to strive for. And uh, so as a kid, I would go buy candy bars uh, at like a grocery store or whatever for 25 cents. And I'd take them to school and I'd sell them for a dollar out of my backpack. I made some money that way. I, uh, when I got older, 
I started just a small lawn mowing business because I wanted some extra cash. Um, so yeah, entrepreneurship has been something that has just been in my bones from a pretty young age. And it's something that I ended up stumbling in. You know, I was working in-house at this, this large corporation and I was working in their marketing department. And one of the things that I was tasked with was, hey, work with these agencies. And so I started working with the multiple agencies that this half billion dollar company was engaged with. And none of them knew what they were doing. None of them could give me good data. None of them would share the secret sauce. And I couldn't quantify if they were actually doing a good job or not. So I'm trying to report to my supervisors as a young 20 something. I'm looking at what they're giving us. And then I'm supposed to go back and report. And I have nothing to share. I have nothing to share with the CMO. I have nothing to share with uh, the head of digital. I've got nothing because they're not giving me anything. And so it was in that moment that I kind of went, I think I could do this better. I know marketing. I understand what's happening here. I'm not, I don't know everything, but I'm a sharp guy. I'll figure it out. And that's really what led to launching that first firm. As far as the stress goes, yeah, I bought into the, you have to hustle lie, you know? And, and I think that there's a certain level, I actually, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with a very close friend uh, this past week. She's an entrepreneur. She's just getting going. And she was asking me, she's like, Dave, do you think that you would have to do what you did again to get started. And she was asking for herself, right? She's going, do I have to kill myself in order to get the success that I need? And I told her, I said, you know, it's really about finding the right levers to pull. And it depends on how fast you want to grow and how much you're willing to sacrifice of your body, your relationships, your time with your kids. Like that's going to be a thing. Uh, and so it's amazing when you get to have a staff like mine that's ever growing and large and I can give them a task and it gets done. Uh, but I really don't think that you have to kill yourself anymore to get to where you want to go. Um, and also, if you want to, just realize, choose consciously, right? <laughs> like choose aware with awareness of what you're doing. And I I think this this leads us right into the right thing because see we all have heard the stress and so forth and this is what i love about your story is that then you figured out like you and you, you mentioned this numerous times leverage leverage like leverage right and leveraging other individuals leveraging systems leveraging processes to then actually produce better outcome with less amount of input so your output is so much bigger because your input is more strategic in the way you do it and so let's kind of dive into that a little bit obviously you've been able to build an incredible amount of results for a lot of clients your co uh, consulting and marketing companies that you've been able to work with so how did you do that and what 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 kind of levers or leverage did you do or deploy to get the most effective output yeah so it's you know we in the marketing space I, I own a number of businesses in the marketing space that's that's really where my nucleus is in and so right now i own seven different companies um and five of them are in the marketing and consulting space so what we've done is if, if we look at it just like the 30,000 foot view level, we honestly look at what's happening right now in this particular business. What are the things that they've never thought of? I don't really care what their competitors are doing. I really don't care. What are things that they've never thought to do? This is what separates great consulting firms, great marketing firms, even dare I say great accounting firms. What are things that we can do that no one else is doing, period. 
that would make us unique. You know, I, it's, it's why every great business out there really succeeds is they're bringing something unique to the market. And there's too much me too. Oh, I do that too. Me too. And I had the same problem in my first business. Hey, I'm a do everything digital agency. It wasn't until I decided to niche into digital advertising and really specify we're the best Facebook and Instagram advertising agency in the world. Then I was able to share some of these other things that we did as well, right? We had other services, but we led with this individual service that people could go, you're the Facebook guy, you're the Instagram guy. And so one of the things that we've done, I hope I'm answering your question, by the way, Christian. <laughs> um, one of the things that we have done in some of these ways is we've just looked at, man, like, what are the hangups? What are the problems? What are the issues? And one of the questions I love to, to throw out to a client uh, is, or, and to our internal team, all right, let's say the client engages with us. What's the problem that they have after their engagement? How can we solve that problem, right? So one of the firms I have is that SDR firm that I mentioned. They're booking meetings on B2B individuals' direct uh, calendars so that they can close these business deals. Well, as soon as they sign up with us, they get an onboarding, they have a meeting where we show them sample email copies, sample direct mail copies, sample direct mail pieces, total addressable market. It's a very efficient process. One of the things I started to ask though was, okay, why do people leave? And what we started to figure out, Christian, was that while we were getting phenomenal results, booking loads of meetings, the reason why people left was they couldn't close those sales because most businesses rely on referrals, especially if they're around uh, $500,000 to $3 million, A lot of their work comes through referrals, which is great. But as you know, and I know, referral leads are a wholly different conversation than a cold, I just got an email from you. I just got this direct mail piece that was funny, made me laugh. Who are you? Tell me what you do. And so what we did was I went, well, man, we take for all of our businesses, just literally hundreds of cold calls every week. How do we close these deals? And so what I started to do was I put together a training program and I started to train our clients as part of our pricing, as part of our packages every week. Here's how you close more sales. What's fascinating, man, is that it increased our retention because we're solving the next problem that they had. And this is what we do at every business. There's going to be the problem that we're solving initially, that that's the presenting issue, but then you're going to create a new issue that also needs to solve. So how can we help them there too? And I love that approach because just like you said, the LTV goes up and then your obviously churn rate goes down because naturally they're going to stay with you long term, which is just beautiful. Now, I'm curious with that service, was that an extra upcharge or was that just an additional just to help them, you know, get better results for themselves? So the way that we've started to, to present it, initially, it was just we, we gave it to all of our clients for because we we're trying to solve this churn issue. Uh, what we've started to do now is we, in, the sale, in our sales process, we mention it as a bonus. Hey, look, if you sign this week, if you sign this month, whatever, however the salesperson uh, refers to it, we'll give you access to sales training. It's a $20,000 value every year, and we'll train as many of your staff as you want. And so that changes the conversation. We get more deals closed. A lot of times what happens, I don't know, I'm sure that you've seen this, Christian. I see it all, all the time in our space. 
we're talking to a B2B customer and they're doing all these things that are amazing and super helpful to their customers and clients. And they just give it for free. Now you can give those for free still if you rephrase it as, oh, by the way, this is a $1,500 value that I'm giving to you as a bonus. Oh, this is a $5,000 value. If you go up to this next tier, I'll give it to you as a bonus for free. Now, all of a sudden, the prospect, they're seeing that the value of that offer is so much greater than what you're saying, just, hey, I'm going to get you meetings, or I'm going to get you some PR help, or I'm going to help you grow your business through branding. It's so much bigger than that now. Now they're going, well, man, there's also like an $80,000 value that I'm getting on top of that stuff. Wow. I would feel silly saying no to this deal. And so we close a phenomenal amount of business because we've structured our offers those ways. And, and see, it's so, it's so, um, such a beautiful move. And I love, I appreciate diving into this because see, I see so many people, they focus on the front end acquisition, right? Okay. We've acquired a customer. Cool. Wonderful. And then there's no really, uh, you know, consistency on the back end or fulfillment and saying, okay, hey, how do we keep them long term, but also add more value? Like you said, Dave, they're going to run into other problems. Oh, now I need to build a team. Well, how do I do that? So you can add other services attached to it, which I think is just remarkable. Um, I just love that. So let's kind of dive into a little bit of, you know, you mentioned leveraging your own time. When you were first, you know, having, you know, at a, at a company, everybody was requiring on you. It was, it was up to you. They kept coming to you and so forth. How did you, whether through systems, processes, duplication, hiring, how did you leverage other systems to be able to pull yourself back where you have something fully operational and now you still are making, if not more money, probably? Yeah, we make way more money. (laughs) Um, The profit margins are way, way sweeter too. Yeah, so some of the things we did that were smart, we started to look at, uh, again, I'm the son of an Air Force guy. I look at things in military terms and in sports terms a lot, right? So I looked at it and I'm like, all right, well, departments are kind of like position groups on a, on a sports team. I, I grew up playing soccer, football, baseball, um, and I did some weightlifting, right? And so if we look at it and we're like, hey, the accounts department uh, that runs all of our clients, that's our defense, right? Like they're, they're there to help work things through. Uh, the midfielders are our product team. So that's copywriters and designers and people that are actually doing the work. And then the sales and marketing is uh, our forwards. They're the, they're the ones that are trying to score the goals and then kind of work the ball back and forth. The best thing that can happen in a soccer game is for the goalie to not have anything to do. And so if those teams are working in unison, and that's really key. They have to work in unison. Then I, as the goalkeeper, should never see the ball. I should never see the ball. It should always be out there. And the only time that I should see the ball is when they pass, my team passes it back to me so that then I can help them distribute again. So my role is really to be the philosopher on a hill, the, the sage that's in the mountains. It's very appropriate that I live in the mountains of, of Washington State. Because that's kind of what's happened. I am the person that they come to when they can't solve an issue, which doesn't happen all the time. The way that we really did this well was I had a core group of people and they weren't necessarily in high positions, but we could tell, we identified that's a person we want in leadership. 
And the reason why we knew that they were someone that we wanted in leadership is because they embodied our core values at a very high level. And so they may be green. They may have no experience uh, being in management or leadership. And we're like, we're going to train them. So then what I've done is I spend a lot of time with those people. In fact, after we get done with this call, I've got a, a two-hour meeting with one of my staff that's in that position. And really, it's an opportunity for me to help them develop and elevate their own game. And now they're able to go run it. If you think about it in military terms, you've got uh, the officers, right, that are kind of leading larger groups. And then you have NCOs, non-commissioned officers, that are actually making sure that the tasks get done. And you can have those be large groups, or you can have them be a small firing squad of four people. And so uh, we've divvied up decision-making. We're not holding it in my hands. It's not even in my leadership team's hands exclusively either. We're allowing everyone in the company to make decisions that really move the ball forward. And what that's done in that democratization, Christian, is it's led to a lot of really smart people who have never had any experience in the field that we work in working for us and having great success. So my thing is, I don't care what you did before. Uh, an example, we have hired a number of school teachers to marketing firms. Uh, we're, we've hired um, a ballet dancer into an accounts role and they're thriving. Why? Because there's this mistaken idea. Well, if you have experience in my field, then you're going to be better. No, hire someone that's really smart and have phenomenal training programs and good quality SOPs. And that person will thrive and make your organization phenomenally better. And so that's kind of been our model. Um, and it's, it's really, really effective and fun. Yeah. And, and, uh put stop on this is I remember when I was in the restaurant biz, um, oh gosh, when I was like in high school and so forth. And when I was in the restaurant biz, I remember that they could take someone off the street and basically teach them every aspect of being a cook. And within really two to three days, they were a, a full functioning cook. And what that taught me was a operation system, right? It wasn't a matter of really that job didn't really require a lot of skill, but it's a matter, like you said, finding someone that could really just put into play and then learn that very quickly. But it's all about systems and processes. And I love that approach. Now, my bigger question is building those systems and operations, right? I think a lot of our entrepreneurs that are listening, they get that. That makes sense. But which in their business, where should they focus on first? What's the first action step, right? The elephant, eat one bite at a time. We get that. However, though, what's that bite? What would you suggest? A lot of times what that bite is, is you have to figure out at least the fundamental basics of delivering your product or service. You have to, right? Like you have to have a mechanism for delivery of what the person is paying for. That being said, once you figure out the fundamentals of that, because you're not going to flesh it fully out, then you put together an offer. And if you're looking for if, if you're looking for a good resource on how to put together offers, I really recommend Alex Hormozzi's $100 million offer book. He took a framework that I had uh, kind of put together. Uh, he didn't take it from me. I'm just saying I had worked out some of the mechanisms that uh, he puts out, but he made them much more pretty and much easier to understand. And so I basically have just taken on what he's done and I, I teach people what he's doing now. Um, and so coming up with a killer offer that makes it so that people feel stupid saying no to it really is the leverage point. Um, and so the thing that's challenging about that, Christian, and this goes back to understanding your product and making sure you can deliver it, 
is that in order to do an offer, you're going to need to have the ability to guarantee, uh, whether that's a conditional or a non uh, unconditional guarantee, results. Now, those results may not be monetary. They may be monetary. It may be time. You may just be giving people time back. You may be giving them uh, more healthy, like they're living a healthier lifestyle, or you may be improving the romantic relationships. Whatever the guarantee is, that's really key, right? And so in order to understand if you can give a guarantee or not, you need to be able to run that product through. So it's like, which one do you do? Man, get your product to a good enough spot and then do ridiculously good marketing. Why, why is it that Grant Cardone is Grant Cardone? He's Grant Cardone not because he's a great sales guy. That's the misconception. He's not a great sales guy. He's a great marketer. He's a phenomenal marketer. Gary V, everyone recognizes that Gary V is a great marketer because he's in marketing. But everyone across the board that you have heard of, it, they're great at marketing. They're phenomenal at marketing. And then the, the stuff that they figure out on the back end may be good enough, right? I always look at, at this point in all of my journeys, I'm like, let's make the product better because I figured out the marketing. The lead gen's done. Everything in that channel is happening. I never struggle for meetings. All of our teams have plenty. So that's not the issue anymore. The issue is now making the product better. But I had to get enough new business coming in in order to fulfill the, hey, let's make the product better. That's a solid point. Really love that because really focus on the sales. You cannot build a legacy unless you have cash flow, right? And then obviously then go to the next level, which is of course that, that, that fulfillment on the back end. And then of course the systems and processes. So now with hiring, okay, because this is a total different approach where what you said, um, honestly, right? I hear a lot of people, you find the who that knows how, right? So you find someone that is, is higher quality, whatever, they know how to do that and produce that a lot better. And obviously you get a 10, uh, you know, a level 10 kind of person in that kind of position, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, whatever. If you are on the other hand, where you find someone that is somewhat capable of have work ethic that are obviously uh, have capabilities and skills, but then you implement them in your system and your process and your training, give them remarkable, amazing training. And then of course, they've been able to produce and perform. So my question to you then is, that's very unorthodox. How did you come up with that? And why do you think it's going off so well compared, obviously, to the industry? So the way that we came up with that was I, I had a internship. I, I was one of those guys that just I enjoyed working. So my senior year of high school, I was a, a pretty good student, AB student. And I had taken enough courses that I only had to work or only had to do school half day. And so the other half the day, I actually had an internship and that internship was in marketing. My mentor at that internship was this very smart leadership guy. And one of the things that he taught me, not always verbally, but just in my watching, was that he would develop people into a position based on what he would see in them. And so we'd go, oh, I see that you're this kind of person. This is how your mind works. Let's give you the opportunity to do that. And so what's different is it's the difference between, I'm going to go back to sports because it helps me. Uh, it's the difference between the, the U.S. model of developing soccer players and the rest, the European model of developing soccer players. So in the U.S., they will put one kid who's a phenom on a team, and then they'll put whoever is good enough around them, 
right? And so it's like, oh, and they're just trying to get the ball to Johnny because Johnny's going to get the ball and he's going to score, right? And that's how it's built, okay? In Europe, and, and I know this because I had coaches as a young kid that were from England, Scotland, Germany, because I was a military brat. We were at NATO bases. We got some of those cool experiences. They developed players. They saw players and they would move them around to different positions and they'd figure out who, how can we work you best on the field? And then they would train you to play that position, even if you had never played it before. And that was life-changing for me because their goal was to make the team as good as the team could be based on investing in each individual player, which is not the model that we have in the U.S. It's one of the reasons why we suck in the World Cup. And so this is what's really helpful to our model is we took it from these sports teams that that's what their model is. They're not trying to have the one. We also do this in baseball and many other sports in the U.S., but we're not trying to just build our team around one or two players. We're building our team around can we develop each individual? And that also helps with some things, Christian, like employee retention. That also helps us give them more money. So like we increase our minimum pay every year. So this year, because inflation is so high, we increased it aggressively. Our minimum pay is now $42,000 a year for every company. No one can make less than 42, which equates out to $21 an hour across the board. And we have some positions where they probably, if they were at another firm, would be making 30. But we are trying to do something differently. And when you invest in people with your dollars and cents and you invest in people with your time and expertise, the return on it is amazing. Um, and yeah, it's, I think that that's kind of why we went that way. Yeah. Cause it, you know, and, and I give, I just hit this point because I've heard so many times it's so unorthodox of what you're saying there. Yeah. It totally makes sense in that long-term effect. Uh, and which I, I appreciate as well, because I've, I've had an incredible experience with my executive assistants and my operations person now, uh, where I gave them just a chance. I said, hey, let's let's work for two weeks for free. Let's see if she, she even qualifies. She had no idea. But then all of a sudden, she's really performing incredible results. So again, just to, just to emphasize. Now, let me ask you this, David. At what point do you start realizing, okay, your company is growing? And there are levels where, okay, you're at 10, 15, 20, 50, $100 million. That's a big organization. That's a big company. Right. Okay. And I know some of our comp- uh, listeners aren't at that point. They're doing about 1.1 million on average. Okay. Yeah. But they want to get to that. Sure. At what point do you start realizing, okay, well, maybe the people I have, they just don't, they need to level up their skills. And maybe I, I need to have the tough conversation, either removing them or position them at a different spot in their organization yeah. and then hiring or firing, you know, f- uh, finding another their individual, or is that not just leveling up that skill? I'm just curious, what would be your path? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, so here's what happens when, you, when you get to three to 5 million in revenue, you're in the messy middle. I call it the awkward teenage stage of every business, right? Like you're, you're growing and it's really fun and exciting. Your team's getting bigger and it's super cool. But at that three to 5 million stage, you need something different from your team than what you've had up to that point. And here's what you need. You need up-leveled people. They cost a lot more money. They're, seven, they're, they're six-figure people and you're running a, a low seven-figure business. You can't afford them. So you just have to bite the bullet and decide, hey, we're going to be a little bit less profitable until we break out of the $5 million mark 
because I need to hire someone that I'm going to pay a buck 22 to come in and be our head of operations. And so it's at those moments, Christian, that I actually, unless I have someone that I, who's been kind of at a lower role, you know, they're making 65, 70, they're, they're managing some people, they're leading some people. Can I elevate them? If I can, great, man, I'm all about it. If I'm unsure, if the team is like, oh, I don't know, we just put, we just put that out. Now that person can apply for it. They're probably not going to win, um, but they may, they may, it's happened before. But a lot of times you need someone that has a different expertise level. They've done this a lot. They've worked with growing and scaling companies. And so when you get to that three to $5 million range for the people that are listening, that's when you need to start making some hard decisions about who you're going to put in key leadership spots. Because what I'm always thinking about for my companies is I'm like, okay, cool. This is where this company is at right now. When it gets to 20 million, what do we need to have in place? And so I'm always thinking, what kind of leader do I need to be for a billion dollar organization or a $500 million? I'm always not look. I'm not looking to the next step. I'm looking at ten steps ahead because I'm trying to recognize I need to change who I am in order to get us here, because it's going to happen fast, um, and it happens faster than people think when they start to get the right things in place. Right? If you get your marketing down pat, if you get your sales in the right spot, you have new problems, man. Like you have fun new problems and. Yeah. So to, to the point of, of the hiring, if you can up-level someone, great. If not, you're going to pay a lot more and you're going to find somebody that has some competence at a high level to come in and help you lead. And, and so let's kind of dive into that. Let's imagine, okay, we, we hire a marketing individual, a CMO, right? Someone that's a little higher, higher level um, and as well as operations, right? Let's do uh, you know, 120,000 is what their average. They're in charge of the marketing. What's that look like in pulling yourself back from the marketing? Because most uh, business owners that are at that 1.1 million, they're heavily involved with the marketing, the metrics, the systems, the processes. The, I mean, they're at, at, at every level, really. But at what point do you really pull yourself back, totally give them ownership? And then, like you said, obviously focus on, on the higher lever, leveraged um, things that a business owner should be focusing on. So there was a study that came out a while ago. Uh, it's widely circulated. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it, Christian. Some of your listeners may have heard of it as well. Whenever an employee starts, the first, 50, uh, the first 30 days of their new employment, they're working at about 50% of their capacity. From day 31 to 60, they're working at about 75% of their capacity. And from day 61 to 90, they're working at about 90% of their capacity. What that means is they are figuring out, you think about the first 30 days, they're like, okay, what software am I using? Where's that file? How do I like, there's just all the things that happen as a new hire. So we do, uh, we run all of our companies using EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system. One of the tenants of EOS is a quarterly review process and they call it rocks goal setting that happens for each and every individual. And so one of the things that's really helpful, understanding that people grow their capacity to 100%, they only get to 100% of their capacity in day 91 and beyond, right? So those first 90 days, what I'm looking for is, are they picking it up? And I'm still doing it with them. You know, one of the things that our sales teams do is for the first two weeks, a new salesperson just shadows on calls with 
our head of sales at a company or a senior sales leader, something like that. And then the next two weeks, they take calls with that same person or with some other people, and they're doing the call with them and or they're leading the call themselves, the new sales staff. So that first month, they're just getting set. So it's not until month two, they're actually taking calls on their own. Why do we do that? Because look, it's you need to see the reps. You need to get the reps in. You need to experience it. You need to do it with a person. And so to, to answer your question with that CMO hire, I'm, I'm being close to them for the first 90 days. I'm really close the first 30. I'm less close the next, the next 30. And I'm less close the next 30, assuming that they're doing well and they're picking it up and everything's going fine. And then after that, it's just having those regular check-ins, right? So like I have a COO, she's the one that runs uh, those companies, really. I mean, she's, she's really my right hand. And she is the one that's having regular check-ins with each and every COO of every company, right? And so what that does is we're able to have some crosstalk. And the other thing that's cool is that these positions that we have, a lot of them have a duplicate partner at another company. And so they work together. Like we have copy chiefs at most of our marketing uh, companies and they get together every Thursday morning for an hour and they just chat. Hey man, I'm dealing with this. What, how did you handle this with a, uh, uh, an employee? You know, I've got this one person that's struggling. What do you have any recommendations? I'm, I'm trying. And so it creates this really beautiful dynamic, man, where like everyone's helping each other out because it's about the companies together working in unison, sharing this information and this tribal knowledge, it's really lovely. It's really, really effective. Um, yeah. I love that. I love that. I mean, that's just, and I love the, the, the very strategic approach because sometimes we want to have this ramp up period, right? Oh my gosh, I'm tired of like fulfillment, for example. And I just know our business work, you know, owners work. Oh, I, I want to delegate this thing that I really don't want to do anyways. And so that what happens, you delegate it very quickly, the ramp up, and then all of a sudden you don't delegate it properly. And I like what you said, give them 90 days, be very hands-on, and then obviously kind of strategically pull back uh, if they're performing correctly. And I've actually never heard that study. I, that's very interesting. Only working at 50% capacity the first 30 days. That's that's actually very shocking. Um, so now let's kind of dive into, okay, here, you've got this incredible business. You've got this incredible system rock and rolling. Now that you've been able to build that foundation, pulling yourself back a little bit. What do you spend majority of your time on? What's the 4% <laughs> that, that, that pull those larger levers? So for me, it's about investing in my, my top leaders. Uh, that's, that's the big thing. Um, I am the one that whenever we have strategic objectives that a senior staff member requests an aid on, I come and assist. So like one of the things that we're working on for the PR firm that, that uh, I own we're working on putting together a better guarantee and better processes for us to have higher margin on our services. And so the COO over there was like, hey, I really could use your help. Cool. My calendar is open. Let me help you, right? And so I have time to devote to this person that's doing a fantastic job, by the way. And they just are looking to bounce these ideas off a person. So my job is to be a sounding board and to really consult with my business leaders of each business and with department heads of each business as they need it. The other thing that happens too is I get scorecards. So it's literally data that we have said, 
as a comp, hey, for this company, if I was on a beach and drinking Mai Tais, what would I need to see to know that the business is running fine and I don't need to worry about a thing or I need to get on a plane and go home. And so I have metrics for marketing and sales and operations for each and every company that tells me how healthy or unhealthy it is. And do I need to step in and have an assist or is everything going fine? So when everything's going fine, I focus on bigger marketing projects because that's my field and that's, I love it, you know? And uh, so I'm writing a book currently, uh, doing podcast interviews. Um, but most of the time I'm, I'm investing in staff and fixing product issues and fixing uh, bigger issues that are going on and uh, really trying to pour into them so that they become the leaders that I know that they have the potential to be. Yeah, I think it's a misconception uh, tremendously. So definitely in the entrepreneur world, we all think about that laptop lifestyle, whether it's coaching, consulting, whether it's your you know, service or something along that line, your info product, whatever it is. And we always just want to sell stuff and then just go in and you know, enjoy life. But it doesn't, you have to really build that foundation and it doesn't take, it takes a while for you to build that foundation. And I think sometimes people just have the, the time horizon. Is it what they expect in their head and they get all bent out of shape and frustrated. And so that's why I appreciate having this conversation with you because obviously it allows you to focus on one avenue at a time strategically that will produce the best return on investment and return on your time. And at the end of the day, like you said, now you, you have a system, a process implemented for your business at a full level. And then now you can go do other things. And one person I just want to uh, to really footstomp, I always find Bill Gates very intriguing. He has done that at a, such a high level that I, I really just, it's, it's just remarkable, but really just duplicating what he's done at just a smaller micro level is, is really incredible. So here he built this incredible Microsoft. He was on the board. He stepped away from CEO. He was on the board for X amount of time. He stepped away from the board, and now he's full time with his with his uh, larger thing and so forth. But at the end of the day, he still owns this massive, massive company. And exactly what you just said, it very strategically though, but it does take a long time. So let me ask you to give a little context to business owners that are stuck right around that one point one million dollars. That really okay, you know what? What is this time? What should I expect to really find the right people? What 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 would you suggest in regarding to have the right right expectation? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it, as long as you're living off referrals, as long as you're having to live off repeat customers, if you're doing e-com or something like that, and you're not figuring out your new customer acquisition, you have to be in the business. You have to be like, you just don't have a choice. The minute that you have that figured out that you can leave and new customers, new clients just sign up. You know, but it's happening without you. Now you're okay. Um, that can happen at any stage. You could be at 1.1 million and growing and be at the stage where you don't need to do it. Um, I get a report every week of how many contracts we have signed. Every single organ, every single company that I own hit their sales goals for last quarter. The way that they hit their sales goals, and this is information from HubSpot, just so all of you know. If you Google HubSpot 2021 sales and marketing report, it is just a sheet of data. One of the things that they said in that sheet of data, and I hope that I'm getting this right because I'm sure people will fact check this now. Um, if you have 50 or fewer meetings in a month for a B2B 
client-oriented business, there's a 93% chance you're going to miss your sales goals. Think about that. If you have 50 meetings in a month, there's a 93% chance you're going to miss your sales goals. If you have 150 or more, that drops to 7%. So all that I'm looking at all the time is I'm like, for the B2B companies, I'm going, how many meetings do we have? If it's over 150, it's crazy. This is wild. It has, it's happened every single time. We don't miss our sales goals. If it falls below the 150 mark, we're in danger of missing our sales goals. So it's one of those things that as an entrepreneur, you have to figure out your, your acquisition channels for e-com, product, whatever that looks like. You have to figure that out. Once you get that figured out, you can then start to hand that off. And that's a process to hand it off. The, the dollar amount that I, I have personally experienced where the handoff happens really, really easily is right around the 3 million mark. It's right around the 3 million mark that you start to be able to have time to go do things because right around 3 million is where you have about 20 employees. And there's something magical about 20 employees, really, truly, because it's just enough bandwidth. It's just enough human power to really get the ball rolling, especially if you democratize your decision-making, you will be able to start to step back, step away and live that laptop life. Uh, And you're still going to have to work on the business, but working on the business is what business ownership actually is. While you're still working in the business, you're a glorified employee. I love it, man. I love it. Such such valuable, valuable insight. So let's just restate that just to make sure our audience gets that clear. If you have more than 150, your sales goals are uh, by basically 96%, basically 94% you will hit, right? That's, yeah. a, that's a mass percentage. But if you have less than 50%, 50 meetings in a month, then that drops down drastically. You will most likely not hit those sales goals. Is that correct? Yeah. So and, and that sounds crazy to a lot of people because most people, when I talk to them, unless they're working with an SDR firm, they're not, they're not seeing more than four meetings a month. They're just not seeing that. Maybe, maybe they've got some good SEO and they're seeing 10. And there, there's this light bulb. That, and I'm like, it's not my data. It's HubSpot talking to 100,000 salespeople, uh, leaders at B2B companies, 100,000. So it's a rich data set. And I'm like, look, if that's the case, you just need more at-bats. You just need to be able to take more swings. Uh, One of the things that I talk about with my staff a lot, we DQ more people than we qualify, meaning 50 to 60% of people that show up on our calendar, get into a meeting, don't qualify for whatever company or service they're engaging with because of their budget, because they're not a nice person, because there's a variety of reasons, right? Which means that when you see that 150, if you cut it in half, I'm already at 75, okay? Well, then you're going to have some people that don't show up. You're going to have some people that don't show up. So now I'm going to cut that by another 20. So now I'm talking about 55 meetings that are qualified, showed up, and are worth talking to. That's my number. What's my close rate on that? Uh, well, my close rate on those on that number is about 50%. Great. But if I have that number shrink, if I go from 150 to 100 and I do that math again, oh man, 
I have way fewer contracts signed. See, and that's why I think it's so interesting in today's world because I see so many, and I've consulted with a lot of businesses that that's, that focus so much on the front end. Oh, we got to have a thousand calls this month in order to hit our metrics. And it's like, guys, if we just restructure this and rethink this and that just switch the paradigm shift, just what you're saying, those micro things will have a huge thing. And that's why I love about leverage. And I love talking about this because it's like that small little thing that we all overlook just by that like little data, all of a sudden that's got a huge result and the output and the result is massive. And so I appreciate, you know, Donnie, that I had not have seen that report either. So I'd have to take a look at that. That's, that's just remarkable, just remarkable. Uh, well, David, I just appreciate the value that you brought to our audience and obviously kind of what you're doing in the industry and the impact that you're making for your clients, but just the, just the incredible stories that you have and the results that you've been able to produce. Uh, but before we let you go, how can our audience reach out to you, my man, and get some of your, just be around your community and be, be around your sources and what you're doing, man. Yeah. I mean, um, if you, if you are into social media, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, uh, it's just at real D Val D V A L. Um, and I actually would love to give, uh, a special offer to your listeners. If that's okay, Christian, if they want to engage with one of my companies. Um, yes, yeah. let's do it. Cool. Um, if you are listening, uh, drop me an email, David at Avadel, A-V-A-D-E-L dot agency, and just mention this podcast and uh, I will set you up with my team. We'll, get, we'll book you three B2B meetings for free. No strings attached. Uh, and we'll go from there. So uh, drop me a line and we'll, we'll set that up for you. Um, I'm, I, I feel kindred spirits with Christian. I love entrepreneurs. I love business owners. I think it's a way to change the world. And um, if we can help be a small part of that, then uh, I'd love to. Awesome, guys. And those links will actually be in the description below. Make sure you click on that. Make sure you email them. Do it right now. Literally stop this, this audio. Do that right now because, guys, you do not want to miss another 12 months, another Q3, another Q4, whatever it is, and not hit those sales goals by doing those small things that you can implement right away. So make sure you reach out to him. Make sure you consume his content and be around his uh, what he's doing. Uh, now, before we let you go as well, are there any last words that you'd like to share with our audience, my man? Uh, no, I look, man, I, it's been an honor to be on this call with you, Christian. I've absolutely uh, enjoyed this time. And uh, I've just, uh, man, I, I, I love getting to do these sorts of things. So thank you for the opportunity. This has been fantastic. Well, thank you, man. And again, guys, those, that is, those links will be in the description below. Make sure you consume that content. Guys, and remember, this is Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Until next time, and remember, be uncommon if you can. Are you an aspiring side hustler or online business owner that wants to create passive income, but you don't know where, you don't know how to start? Well, go to EvansFamilySideHustle.com, schedule a 45-minute phone conference with myself, Christian Evans, or one of my sales coaches. Again, that's EvansFamilySideHustle.com.